Welcome to Adventures with Words, where we explore storytelling in all its forms. I'm Rob. I'm Kate. And I have a bit of a cold, as you probably might be able to hear already. Um, uh, I have a bit of a cough, and it's mostly gone away. So it's kind of a litany of illness, obviously, getting towards what's a bit like our end of term at Christmas. But uh, we wanted to chat to you today about uh, Stronger, and that will become clear in a minute, and then just more generally um, talking about some booked film adaptations that we've seen recently. Yes, there seems to be quite a few uh, adaptations that are hitting the screen right now in in various forms. But the first one I want to talk to you uh, is Stronger, which is out here in the UK on Friday, but we were very lucky enough to be sent a uh, an early copy. Um, it's also, the book is released at the end of last month, on the 30th of November. So this is Stronger by... Now, we're saying Jeff Bowman. We think that's right. Or Bowman. Not, hopefully it's... But it's spelled B-A-U-M-A-N. And it is the story of... Um, yeah, it's a true story. It's it's his life. And basically, he was one of the people who was injured uh, in the bombing of the Boston Marathon. So that was in 2013. Yes. Um, we were saying last night, actually, after we finished watching the film, it seems a lot more recent than that. But, um, yes, yeah, so that was back in 2013. And it is a kind of what happened to him as a result of being in that bombing. He was really, really badly injured. Um, he was taken to hospital. Um, he uh, had to... Sorry, if, uh, if you don't like squeamish things, maybe don't listen to the next bit. Um, he had to have both his legs amputated at the knees. Or, or actually above the knee, wasn't Just, it? Yeah, yeah, above the knees. Because he was actually standing very near where one of the um, perpetrators put down one of the bombs. So I don't know if you'll recall this, but there were uh, these two bombs and they were uh, sort of in backpacks and they were made of pressure cooker pots basically so it was like at um it was at the finish line yeah, wasn't it? yes near, near the finish line at sort of foot height basically yeah so obviously the devastation was really horrible um and he was right there but he was sort of particularly picked out because he saw one of the bombers so almost, uh, so we're, we're talking about the events of the film now, but uh, Jeff's obviously rushed to hospital, uh, all his family are there, and when he first of all comes round, he actually, um, he couldn't talk, because uh, he had the, had the tube down his throat, but he actually writes down that he, he saw one of the bombers, and he's able to give a description. Yeah. Uh, to the FBI, um, the, the the film focuses on Jeff. So you, the sort of the hunt for the two bombers, kind of happens around him. Yeah, you you sort of have his family in the waiting room at the hospital, and you have a scene when they cheer when the first bomber is shot by the FBI, and then you hear another cheer, um, like you know a, a bit later on, which is obviously kind of days later in in the real chronology of it, where they catch the second bomber. Um, but yeah, that's not really the, the point of the film. Um, the point is then that um, while he's in hospital for six weeks, this whole kind of mythology grows up around him. And there's a phrase which I hadn't heard used in the UK, which is Boston Strong. 
Um, I don't, perhaps people who watch The Wire know more about that than me, but, um, or I don't know, someone, yeah, something like that, was, but. I think, obviously it's important to remember that this didn't just happen to, to Jeff, there obviously yeah. there were other victims as well, but it seemed like, it almost seemed to sort of unite Boston together, hence this Boston Strong thing. Um, but yeah, Jeff becomes almost like the figurehead of, mm. of, uh, of, of, you know, of what happened. Uh, there's also moments when. Uh, the guy who sort of rescues Jeff or sort of like helps him out um, at the finish line. He's not like a paramedic or anything. He's just there. Um, and Jeff doesn't quite want to meet him to begin with. Um, and it, it kind of like, it also, it's it's what happens to Jeff's family. They're, they're mm. sort of a an ordinary family um, of a quite large family. And it's kind of what happens to them as Jeff is suddenly sort of thrust into the limelight they kind of lots of opportunities that they possibly wouldn't have had before are presented to them, like mm. uh, going to wave a flag at a, an ice hockey game or throw a, the first ball at a baseball match and things like that. Um, now, whether that's good or the right thing for Jeff to do at that time is sort of debated mm. as we go on. I thought it was really interesting from that point of view, actually. Um, <coughs> Excuse me. I should. Well, I said I had a cough. Um, although, obviously, compared to <laughs> compared to Jeff, it doesn't seem particularly significant. But um, you have, yeah, these incidental characters who are actually very important. Um, there's his group of friends who you meet right at the very beginning of the film. Um, it, the film actually starts before the bombing, before the marathon, um, and his ex girlfriend Erin. Um, comes into the bar where Jeff is with his friends and his mum is there as well and I think it's like his auntie or his cousin um, and she is trying to raise money because she is running in the marathon and Jeff kind of comes over to her and does a big shout out for her and you can see all these kind of key characters that it's very close-knit kind of friends as well as family and that was something I particularly liked about the film, that it's, although the media is really kind of glamorising him and lionising him as this amazing hero, actually it isn't only about him, it's also about how it affected his relationship with Erin, because they almost kind of get back together, but then, are you know, there's a lot of strain on her, you know, they they weren't a great couple before that. They'd broken up. So does she really want to be with him or what? Uh, there's his mum who seems to have a drinking problem, um, but obviously wants to make sure that he's looked after and wants all the, all the kind of best opportunities for him and wants everyone to make a fuss of him because obviously she's so thrilled that he's relatively okay. Um, his mates who I think aren't quite sure what to do to help but they're just sort of there for him and they hang out with him and make him feel normal um, and I, I thought the other thing that was really interesting um, and done really well in the film was um, showing how that actually affected Jeff because there's so much pressure on him to kind of live up to mm. what his mum is saying about him and to live up to all the praise that he's getting from everybody. And actually that puts a lot of pressure on him. Yes, I mean, you see him at the start, he's working, doing roast chickens at Costco or something like that. Yeah. And then suddenly he finds himself in this obviously awful situation 
where he's not only trying to make sense of his life, but also what he's come to represent. People keep saying to him, like, oh, I'm so glad that you you didn't, you know, not letting the terrorists win and that you're here. Mm. And he's got a very dry sense of humour. Uh, he's not afraid to sort of poke fun at himself or like in a situation like when someone says like, oh, I'm so glad you didn't let the terrorists win. He says like, well, I, you know, I lost my legs or something. You know, he's, he calls mm. himself half a per, you know, where it's like, oh, us two and a half people and things like that. So we should probably say, uh, Jeff is played by Jake Gyllenhaal in mm. the film, but I bought into it from the word go. It's sort of like, he really does embody this character and, and actually, um, when you look at the the photo of real Jeff on yeah. the back of the book, they do look quite similar. Yeah, and uh, his mum's played by Miranda Richardson, who we probably I don't know if we know more over here in the UK, almost unrecognisable. I didn't recognise her at all yeah. at first, but yeah, she's a she's a fantastic actress. Um, you would never know that she was British. It's an incredible performance, actually. Um, I don't. I didn't recognise the actress who played Erin, but I thought she was great, actually. So we'll we'll look her up, and mm. I'm sure we'll let you know who that was. Um, I thought it was, overall, it was an extremely powerful piece of filmmaking. Uh, I think I, weirdly, did not expect it to be... This is going to sound ridiculous. I did not expect to find it as stressful as I found it. Yes, I I mean, I think it's two hours long, I think. Like, I mean, just the experience in itself. Like, I want to say, like, I obviously enjoyed it, but not, I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> like, it's a very yeah. good, it's a really good film. I found it incredibly powerful, but the experience sort of like that it put me through where I, I got to like Jeff incredibly quickly. And then obviously you're experiencing this happening to him, but you're trying to, he's just an ordinary guy with his flaws mm. and then this thing happens to him and his family and then Boston as a whole and yeah it's just like it's so much to for one person to take on and of course it's not really just one person it's you know it's Jeff it's his mum his uh, it's Erin it's his friends as well you know but that's so much to just be on someone's shoulders um I think it, it yeah it does an amazing job of making you feel part of that and to make, you know, getting you to really sympathise with them all, actually. But yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a it's an enjoyable watch, but, you know, I'm not sure something about this kind of subject should be that enjoyable. I think maybe I expected it to be a bit more kind of sentimental, but it really isn't at all. It's very honest, um, very just realistic portrayal of what it would be like to be in that situation. Um, you know, it doesn't sugarcoat anything. You see how, you know, how much he's having trouble dealing with what's happened to him. And, you know, yes, things do sort of go on an upward curve as time goes on, but it's not easy. Yeah, it certainly has bumps. I mean, he makes <clears throat> he makes mistakes. He, he buckles under the pressure. He, he kind of lashes out. But, I mean, that all just felt like, that's normal. That's what anyone would do under that sort of situation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, so I think it's out this Friday in the UK. I, I would highly recommend it. But like we said, uh, it's. I would yeah, I'd really recommend it. <laughs> but it's. But just... I think just be be prepared. It is not an easy watch. There are some quite grim bits. 
Um, there are some bits that are very stressful. So I think maybe just bear that in mind when you're when you're planning your visit. Yes, um, and the book <laughs> is out now from uh, Blink Publishing. Yep, it's an eight ninety nine paperback. So if that story sounds really interesting to you, but you don't necessarily fancy seeing it on the big screen, um, then you can read the book. And that is Jeff with co-writer Brett Witter. Um, so it's you're hearing from the man himself. I just want to say uh, thank you to Melanie at Think Jam and Lionsgate for the book and the screener. Yes, thank you very much. So yeah, as Rob was saying, this is not the only film adaptation that is out at the moment. And I think maybe Christmas particularly is a kind of time for film adaptations because people think of classics and, um, you know, people think of kind of cosy crime. Mm. I don't know what it is about Christmas and wintertime that makes people really love um, reading crime. But that makes me think of um, one of the things that we've seen at the cinema lately. So we went to see, um, it's been out a few weeks, I think we're, it's kind of towards the tail end of its cinema release, but we went to see Murder on the Orient Express uh, with its very all-star cast um, with uh, Sir Kenneth Branagh as, as, as the lead this time round. Um, now this was my first Poirot. Uh, I, the Christie, I'm very late to Agatha Christie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's only recently, thanks to the BBC adaptations, that I've actually got into Christie. But I mean, growing up, we must have there must have been endless Miss Marple and all sorts of things like that. So I used to watch the television adaptations that were on in the UK, um, like kind of Sunday afternoon or, yeah. or Sunday evening, those sort of things. Like maybe on ITV, I think. Yes. And those started off with real Agatha Christie stories but then they would sort of morph into like keeping the characters and the roughly correct time period but inventing stories for the detectives to solve so I've sort of I've seen the characters I'm familiar with Poirot as as a person as a character but, but more, more as David Suchet yes yeah right. so David yeah. Suchet again if you if you're not familiar he is the certainly the British actor who is probably best known for his television portrayals of Poirot so we went to see the film it's obviously uh, a big screen with all the money that they could spend on yeah, it yeah it's quite um, an extravaganza isn't it uh, yes now I did not know the plot at all I no, knew that there that. was going to be a murder um, and it would be on the Orange Express on the Express. Orange Express quite. Um, and I have to say it kept me guessing now Let's not talk spoilers because I think this is best going into if you don't know anything. But I can also see that if you do know the plot and what happens, it's this, the fun is still there. In because it's that kind of dramatic irony thing, isn't it? That you know, but apparently the characters don't. And also, so... it's it's now the more I sort of thought about it, I thought about it more over the next couple of uh, the next couple of days after we saw it. It's it's the mechanics. Mm. I think that's what has always impressed me with the Agatha Christie's that we've seen so far is the actual mechanics. The plots are always quite complicated. This has to happen so that this happens and this person has to be over there mm. so that this happens. And that's that's fun, watching that, like a jigsaw, being all put together. Definitely. Um, I thought there were some really great performances. I thought um, 
Kenneth Branagh is fantastic, but I always think Kenneth Branagh is fantastic. So, you know, I was just happy that he was there and doing his normal thing. Um, yeah, and it's a it's really varied, really interesting cast. Lots of British actors, um, but also some very well known Americans. Um, I I think Johnny Depp. It made me feel quite sad because now we know what we know about him, and I used, you know, he used to be so sort of young and beautiful, and hopefully not an alcoholic and horrible to people. Um, but it was interesting. Now he is clearly only ever going to play villains. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, and I. It made me. Well, it made me think. Gosh, I feel like this character that he's playing is quite near the knuckle because he's playing um an alcohol dependent um basically mobster thug thug um fraudulent art dealer um lots of things yeah 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 Uh, yeah so that was interesting um i really sorry i have a cough um i was quite glad that he was the one who got murdered so there we are. Well, I wasn't going to mention that. But well, I mean, I mean, it's yeah. all about solving the murder. It is. But I wasn't yes. going to. I'm not um, going to say anything else. Yes, no, I enjoyed it, and it, it's a bit like it's it's sort of a locked room mystery in a way. Yeah. You know, they're stuck on the train, and all sorts of things happen. Um, I thought Sir Ken's moustache was magnificent. It's good. At one at one point, he's wearing a sort of like not. I don't know even how to describe it really, but almost like a moustache bra. Yes, it's when he sleeps um, <laughs> to keep it it's sort of a supportive thing yeah, when he sleeps. To um, keep it shape. Yeah, which obviously David Suchet doesn't have. No, but it's, no. he has a different. It's more yeah. like thin moustache, isn't it? Yeah. Very waxed. Whereas well, I, Ken's is quite fulsome. Well, I immediately wanted to go out and watch more and, and read more. Mm. So now I've got that unique thing where Sir Ken is now my pyro, and I'm going to I'm gonna have to go back and get used to someone else being in the role. Um, which is a testament to read. Because <laughs> I think when I, when I first saw the photo of him as in, with that moustache, I was like, it's, what, what it's the hell? It's him with the train behind him. Yeah. Um, and he, yeah, that, the, the moustache is certainly foregrounded, shall we yeah. say. I mean, I did, I was looking at it, trying to work out its structural integrity. Mm-hmm. It's sort of got a nice layered effect, actually. It does. So I think um, next time for November... I now have That's my, what you're aiming for. I have my goals. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, good luck with that. I'll give it a go. I feel uh, like we're reviewing the moustache here rather than the, the it's film. It's a splendid moustache and it's a splendid <laughs> film. And like I said, I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm known for being uh, Captain Guessington, as mm. in working out far too early what's going on. I think my record now is two or three minutes into Shutter Island, oh, going, saying out loud, I wonder if this... And then being proven correct this I did not guess um, and I'm quite pleased with that I thought I'd worked it out but then I was proven wrong and I I was kind of like when one of the other characters said hang on that doesn't make sense and I was like oh yeah that's what I would have said Uh, (laughs) beautifully shot and like I I said a really great cast Um, Dame Judi Dench is doing what she does best Uh, also Daisy Ridley so this is the second thing we've seen her in we've only obviously seen her in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. I thought she was good in this as well. Um, who else did we have? I mentioned Penelope Cruz, Olivia Coleman. Yeah. Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh, yes, yes, Michelle Pfeiffer, yes. So, um, and everyone's got their sort of role to play in it. I thought it was great. 
And I think they're going to do uh, Death on the Nile next. Oh, that would be great. Which, man. again, all I know is that there's a death on, on the, the Nile. Nile on a boat, I presume. <laughs> well, you'd think so, but I don't want to, you anyway. know, I don't want to... I'm now exploring some uh, Christie short stories or Audible with my... So uh, I think that's going to be me sorted. Excellent. I mean, it definitely made me think I would like to investigate reading some of these. Um, I think I do fancy Poirot more um, as something to read, so I might investigate that. But I know there's loads of great kind of Christmassy crime things out there, but, there's, well, there's so much to read, so I'm sure at some point I will get round to reading that. But, yeah, something else that we actually saw on the big screen, which is quite unusual, is... Um, a real classic as far as I'm concerned I think I worked out that it's 25 years old yeah um, which is the story itself has been adapted many a time Indeed. Uh, this might be actually oddly one of the best adaptations that there's been of late I don't think it's odd at all I think it's um, fantastic well I'm thinking like there's been some straightforward ones but uh, yes, yes uh, we saw the Muppets Christmas Carol on the big screen um, Kate had only watched it two days before uh, <laughs> <laughs> But it's now a Christmas tradition know, what's for your us. Point? <laughs> I haven't got a point at all. Um, watching it on the big screen again with an audience, uh, it wasn't a sing-along performance, which you've been no. to, but um, it's quite a nice, respectful audience. Uh, I, I kept noticing things I'd never seen before in the background. It, I mean, it's such, a, it's such a great film. It really is. Yeah. I think it's the best Christmas film. I think it's the best version of Christmas Carol Michael if you don't know um, why not but also if you don't know Michael Caine plays Scrooge um, it's one of the very few Muppets films which you were saying where the Muppets just um, act characters they you know they're not being themselves you know they, they're just being the you know the character from the story and it's also one of the very few where Kermit isn't the main character no which I don't think yeah. I'd really thought about in that way before but of course you are quite right um he gets top billing but actually it goes Michael Caine <coughs> then Gonzo and yeah. Rizzo. yeah um even Piggy's got a very small role but um I love it because Michael Caine plays it absolutely straight yeah he does um I mean he acts a, you know, opposite the Muppets, just as if he was acting opposite a person. He treats them, you know, the human actors and the Muppet actors exactly the same. Um, he reacts, you know, there's no, you know, knowing look to camera or anything like that at all from him. Um, Gonzo is Charles Dickens and Rizzo is his sort of sidekick. I think he's just Rizzo, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I think he is just Rizzo. <laughs> but other than that, everyone is in the story and Obviously, because Gonzo is the narrator and, you know, similar with Rizzo, they are talking directly out the screen to you. Um, but even they, they are still taking it seriously and they, they sort of tease each other, but they don't, you know, they don't make light of what's happening in the story as far as, you know, they are saying, this is already happening, here it is. Um, I think it, in terms of, like, the spirit of the story... Um, getting across the points about being generous if you have it and, you know, making do as much as you can if you don't have much, um, you know, not keeping to yourself and isolating yourself, finding friends and family, you know, all that sort of thing. I just think this does it perfectly. Yeah. And it doesn't go for any kind of extra scary bits or dramatic bits. It just takes everything from the story, obviously just accompanied with a few songs 
Oh, great songs, though. Really yeah. good. I mean, I always think about, you know, adaptations where it's good, but it just doesn't quite get the same magic. So there was, not, not that long ago, a little while ago now, though, um, there was an animated version which had Jim Carrey voicing yes. Scrooge. Yeah. And I feel like that, that was one where... There, there's lots of um, 3D stuff in it. So it's part of the ghosts in that... I feel like you're not missing out if you don't watch it, so I'm just going to talk about it. Um, it's one, one of the ghosty bits. is like a terrifying black handsome cab um, oh. going through the streets of old London. And it's sort of big and small and it's chasing and all this sort of... It's like, one... That was nowhere in the book, mate. Um, and two, what is this adding to the story? Yeah. And I just yeah. don't think it does. I mean, Muppet Christmas Carol is, what, 80 minutes long at most? Yeah, it gets the job done. Yeah. Um, and, and everything that you would want to be in there is in there. There's actually quite a lot of the original dialogue with Scrooge and the other characters and then also the narration via Gonzo. I think it's lovely. It certainly is. So um, we're probably going to watch it again, aren't we? Almost Christmas. certainly. Yeah. And a top tip, if you buy <laughs> the... <laughs> Not... <laughs> so let's say, let's say someone sitting here can't work out how to put the DVD on. Um, I w- in, in that person's <laughs> defence, I would say that the DVD player that they were having to try and put on is part of a PlayStation 4, which they don't fully understand. So if that person, bearing this in mind, decided it was easier just to purchase an electronic version of the film via the Apple movie store, uh, that person would discover that, in fact, the one of that bonus extras that comes with the film is the deleted song The Love Is Gone which people of our age will remember being in the video version but sadly for the DVD release it got taken out Um, there's this whole story about it wasn't in the original theatrical release it got put in for the video and then they when they released the DVD it was just the theatrical version so my point is, you can make it be like the full film that you remember by going out of the film, playing the song, and then going back in the film. It's almost as if that person was here. It, it's weird, yeah, isn't it? It's, it's weird, so strange. Anyway. But just you know, just in case people wanted to watch the film with that song in it, now they can. There we go. So that's been our uh, three in a row now, book to yeah. film adaptations. Uh I think our next film is Jumanji, which isn't based on a book, is it? <laughs> I don't think, but it is based on another film. It of is, course. yes. So it is, in a way, a sort of adaptation. So anyway, we'll let you know what we think of that. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch, you can send us an email, contact at adventureswords.com. We're also on Twitter, at Word Adventures. You can like the page on Facebook, and if you head over to the website, you can leave us a voicemail there as well. So we've rejigged the website slightly, so it basically has our podcast on the front page. So you can um, sort of get links of how to subscribe to them and whatnot just from the front page of adventureswithwords.com. And we haven't deleted the other stuff, it's just not all on the front page anymore. If you'd like to follow what I'm up to during the week, you can uh, follow me on Twitter, Instagram and Snapchat, at Rob Chilver. And I have my newsletter 
which I've mentioned before, head over to paperypixels.com and every Sunday you'll get a newsletter from me where I talk about kind of booky, techie stuff, some apps that I've been playing around with, uh, stuff like that. And um, you can follow me during the week on Twitter and Instagram at magic underscore kitten. And I'm sure I've mentioned before, and I'm going to mention it again, um, I have jointly started a book club with someone else called Chloe, and um, that is a London-based, real-life, in-person book club. Uh, we had our first meeting, and we talked about The Good People by Hannah Kent, which was great. Um, and then this m- coming month, actually, on Tuesday the 12th, we're going to be talking about Thin Air by Michelle Paver, um, which is a, a festive slash terrifying um, ghost story set up a mountain Um, and if you would like to join us because you're in the London area and you've either already read that book or you fancy reading it before Tuesday next week um, if you um, have a look on the Twitter account Odds Bookskins so that's O-double-D-S Bookskins basically um, then you'll be able to find that there's a newsletter that um, I've been sending with information, which is the same of the same name on Tiny Letter, and there's a Facebook page as well with the Facebook event, um, and I'm sure I'll be retweeting stuff from my own Twitter account about that too. I will be there, um, possibly in spirit, because it's the day after my World Christmas party. But no, you'll be there in body as I'll well. I'll be there in body. Oh yeah, that's, yeah. What, that's what I meant. I'll be there in body, but just maybe not. Anyway. Maybe too much spirit. Too much spirit. We Christmas spirit. Uh, thank you again once again for listening, and we'll be back soon.